Welcome to the Go-To-Market Mindset with Michael Gordon, where we talk about all things related to sales, business development, and personal growth. If it's about high performance, we want to take a deep dive into that. And to do that, we'll be talking with some of the sharpest minds in all the land. But don't get too comfortable because we're going to be getting you out of your comfort zone. The Go-To-Market Mindset is brought to you by Sandler Training in Calabasas and me, Michael Gordon. We work with growth mining companies that know sales is never about price and believe that salespeople have rights. For more information, visit gordon.sandler.com. Welcome to the Go-To-Market Mindset, where we talk about all things related to growing sales, business, and your personal self. Today, I'm here with Mike Head, the Chief Revenue Officer at Impact.com. Mike, welcome to the show. Thank you, Michael. I appreciate it. It's great to be here. Yeah, no, it's great to have you. And just for a little context, since the people out there probably have no idea how we're actually connected, you and I are both spent some time in Santa Barbara. I was a sales manager, assistant general manager at a gym called Spectrum Athletic Club. I had heard your name as somebody who was interested in coming to work there. I left and then you came over and took over some of those roles. So I've known of you for some time. I know we know a lot of the same people based on the conversation. And most recently, you'd asked for some sales book recommendations on LinkedIn. Somebody had suggested a Sandler book, and I sent you the Sandler 49 Rules for Salespeople. You mentioned you liked it, so I thought it only made sense to have you on the show to talk about some of these rules. So that's kind of our agenda for the day. Yeah, that sounds great. I'm excited to chat about the rules. And even before the rules in the book, which thank you for sending me the book, I absolutely enjoyed it and encourage everyone in the sales profession to read it. We used the Sandler Pain Funnel for many, many years and so have been a fan of the methodologies overall. So again, excited to chat through the rules. Very cool. Yeah, the Pain Funnel. It's interesting because you know people talk about sales and techniques and all that stuff. And Sandler is really just a communication model built on human psychology that happens to work well in sales. So, you know, I, I think it extends far beyond just selling, but glad to hear that you use a pain funnel actually created by a psychologist sometime back, I think in the 70s. So good stuff. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, let's start from the top. I told you some of my favorite rules. You told me some of the ones you like. So we'll, we'll go with yours because you're the guest today. So rule number 41, and I'm with you. I think this is one of my favorite rules. And the more I learn about sales, the more this really resonates with me. But there are no bad prospects, only bad salespeople. So I've had this debate with a lot of different people before. Let me get your opinion or your feedback on it. I'll tell you what I think, and we'll see You know, if we have the same opinion. If not, then we'll dig deeper into that. Yeah, well, one of the things you mentioned in the intro to the podcast was just about like personal growth and personal development. And so that's why one of these, this rule really resonated with me. And I'll plug another book. It's called Conscious Business from Fred Kaufman. And it talks about, are you a player or are you a victim? A victim is someone who's always pointing fingers saying, this happened to me. It didn't happen because of X, Y, and Z. They're not looking inwardly at the things that they could have done differently. And for me and the way I've run sales team, it's always been about that. It's always been about a debrief afterwards. What happened? What went well? What didn't go well? What could we have done differently? How can we control the things that are in our own destiny so that we can make sure that we're going to be as successful as possible? And that's why this rule really jumped out at me. Awesome. And I love that because if you look at what psychology defines as psychological winners and psychological non-winners, 
psychological winners or people that can look at things and understand that things that are controllable are things that we are that are within our control and our power and we look and we know we can fix those whereas you know externalizing things and blaming it on other people there's no growth there so we people that do that tend to blame other people rather than taking personal responsibility learning lessons and getting better so with you 100 percent on that so here's my take on this and I, I think there are a lot of different ones but you know, in Sandler, we have this saying to qualify stringently and close easy. I know that's kind of contrary to what other philosophies say of always be closing or close hard and close often. But qualify stringently means that you're not looking to convince somebody. You're looking to ask the right questions, meaning find out or do they have a problem? Are they interested in fixing it? Are they cooperative? And if you find if you find that somebody is not willing to have a conversation with you or they just say send me price then and you don't say hey this isn't a good prospect this isn't somebody that I want to work with then your fault for continuing down that path yeah we we look at it in a very similar way and you know that we think opening is the new closing and there's actually a lot of gong data that supports this and looking at the different talk patterns and the differences between a quote unquote closing call versus um, the opening calls and the opening calls and discovery are where deals are won and lost in my opinion and it's because you do have to ask those right questions you have to figure out their why right at the end of the day they're there to you know serve themselves and make sure that they're going to be fixing their problems fulfilling their goals whatever it may be and it's our goals as a sales organization to figure out what they really want and whether or not we can provide a solution and to your point do that early on in the process so that we can figure out if we should be spending time on that deal and if we can actually be solving a problem for that customer and if we can't we should move on yeah i i love that and i'm always blown away and i know it's because this is my life talking with working with salespeople and sales teams about asking questions. But when you tell somebody that you that it's okay to ask a really tough question up front, you may not like to hear the answer. People are always blown away. And I'll I think one of my examples is, you know, aside from aside from price, what else is important to you? Because if somebody like 14% of people buy on price. So if somebody says, hey, it's all about price and you're not the low price leader and you decide. To continue down that path. I mean, I'm not saying bail out soon without asking questions and helping develop some as what we call pain, but your fault for not asking that tough question early on. And it's you're right. I think when you talk about opening, opening is the new closing. You know, I think of upfront contracts, Gong is actually a Sandler client, but I think as Stephen Covey said, professionals begin with the end in mind. So if you can think about what the end is and bring that to the beginning of the conversation and understand where both parties are trying to get to in a way that's beneficial for both sides, you're right. The closing becomes a lot more, a lot less difficult. In fact, it's kind of just a function of a great sales process. And when I say sales process, I mean, discovery, figuring out, do they have a problem? Is it something we can fix? Are they cooperative? Do we want it? Are these are the type of people we want to work with. So uh, I'm with you on that. Right. So anything else, what do you what do you find is the biggest complaint of salespeople, whether they're your salespeople or salespeople in general that <laughs> that, that make prospects bad? Uh, that makes prospects bad. I put, I guess it's like they didn't understand, right? Like kind of blaming them for not getting our value prop, 
right? And at the end of the day, I find that unacceptable, right? Like you can't blame them because you couldn't communicate effectively as to where we can add value for the organization. You know, you really need to look deep within and think about how were you communicating? What problems did you ask? How much were you talking versus asking questions? How much did you really listen? Right. I just will not accept when the sales team says they just didn't get it and tries to blame the prospect overall. Yeah, I love that. I love I love. So this was a really interesting point you made right there. I was just and I'll admit I'm I'm kind of old school when I when I have a sales meeting, I even prior to the pandemic and during I, I take handwritten notes and I was, I was moving offices recently and I found all these old notes from client meetings and I made a habit of when. A prospect says, that's a good question, or, you know, I don't know, I never really thought about that. I put a tick mark on the top of my, my note sheet. And so as, as, as I was going through these, I started looking at all these papers that had X's on them. I realized that if I had at least two X's on during a, an, an initial 90-minute discovery call, that I was 80% getting a sale. So I think you're right. It's It really is about asking the right questions, about making sure the prospect understands and making sure that you understand whether or not, I mean, look, there's always the possibility that if somebody doesn't get the value proposition, maybe they just don't have a problem that you're well-equipped or well-suited to fix. And I think we've all been there. And <laughs> another one that kind of surprised me, it's okay to say no. It's okay trying to fit a square peg into a round hole isn't good for anybody because it, it makes it a rough sales process and you're going to, typically end up having a prospect that isn't really happy because even if they do buy, it's not the right solution. So, yeah. What always fascinates me with a, a lot of salespeople is their apprehension around asking questions, you know, and you mentioned that with your pricing example of aside from price, what's important to you, but just in general, you know, I feel like the middle of the pack salespeople and lower performers, they talk more, and they're uncomfortable with uh, what they perceive to be the uncomfortable questions. And early in my career, and I know it's a different methodology, but uh, just speaking freely about sales here, selling through curiosity and Barry Ryan. And there was one thing that's really uh, a lot of things, but one of the things that really stuck was the talking about questions and apprehension. And he's just like, no biggie to me, no biggie to you. You as a salesperson make it much harder than what it actually is. And once you start to get in the habit of just asking those questions, it's amazing how much people actually want to talk and tell you the answers to those questions. A hundred percent. And by the way, this I, I know I'm a Sandler guy. This isn't a plug for Sandler. So I'm happy to talk about any methodology that you want to bring up. I, I don't think there's a bad one. I think it's just a matter of finding the right one. But yeah. I always laugh when I'm when I'm on a call and I ask somebody, you know, what kind of what kind of budget do you have set aside? And that's yeah, that's what the book says. But when you just ask them what what kind of investment makes sense to solve a you know twenty million dollar problem, and people are like blown away. They're like, I wish my team asked that. And it's like, well, yeah, but and then they tell you what the answer, or they maybe tell you that they haven't thought of something. But people will tell you everything, and people love talking about themselves and it's amazing <laughs> when uh, you get to the end of a good sales call you really haven't spoke very much you've asked a lot of questions and pe people feel validated they feel connected they feel like you they feel like they understand you and that you understand their problems 
And I think that kind of goes back full circle to not understanding the value prop when we're talking too much and not listening enough and not asking good, smart questions. That's kind of how that happens. So, yeah. And the people love talking about themselves. That's the, you know, time tested. Um, I'm actually reading through an oldie, but a goodie and how to win friends and influence people. And, you know, that's one of those principles, right? How to be a great conversationalist is really just about asking questions and listening and getting people to talk about themselves. And then they feel like you're a great conversationalist when you're really just a great listener and asking a lot of good questions. Amazing. That's an amazing book. I'm trying to get my daughter to read it. She's only five. So she doesn't quite read yet, but she carries it around the house and shows it to everyone. So she'll be a big fan of that in a couple more years, but good good stuff. I couldn't agree more. That is totally timeless. Starting her early. I like it. Oh uh, yeah, I, I I feel like we can learn a little bit through osmosis. So hopefully she'll she'll do the same. All right. Well, let's let's jump right into number two. The rule number 38. The, the problem the prospect brings you is never the real problem. Yeah, I mean, th- this to me, you know, and there's actually I can use a Sandler pain funnel here, right? Of like, oh, the reporting's not good, right? And if you just take that at face value, like you really you really don't know what the problem is that you're actually solving. And so that's where, you know, you want to go through that pain funnel or in selling through curiosity, it's the why, 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 right? Like actually, okay, so the reporting's not good. What are the implications of that? Right. And then what happens if you do fix it and just continue. Continuing on that thread so that you can actually get to what the real business problem is, um, is a common thing that we've experienced. And then on the other side of things, and this is because a lot of what we were doing was very innovative and different, like sometimes they didn't know that things were a problem when they actually are. And, you know, by us doing some education, asking around things, showing a different way of doing business, we also could elevate where there would be a new problem that they didn't know they had. And so I don't know that that necessarily fits cleanly within this Sandler rule. But, you know, when I read through that rule, those were the two things that really resonated with me. Yeah. And so here's my take on this is, you know, we taught in Sandler, we talk about you know, level level one pain or surface pains, which is what you can think of as a symptom. So when somebody goes to the doctor and they say, I have a headache, that, that's not the real problem. The headache is a manifestation of something else that's going on in the body. So when prospects come and tell you, you know, hey, we, we have this problem, the one I'll always use is discounting. That's not the real problem. The real problem isn't discounting. So when salespeople want to jump in and fix this, the, the solution they're offering usually isn't even the right solution. And the prospect hasn't learned something by you asking questions and helping diagnose because there's a couple of root causes for, and again, you can think about symptoms or pain indicators or surface level pains in any industry. I'm just going to use, you know, something that's familiar in my world, but discounting. Okay. There's a couple of reasons people discount. That's one, they didn't ask about the budget. So they just assumed that there was going to be money. They go and present something that's way more than the prospect had in mind or was able to spend and now they have two choices they can walk away or cut the price to get it or they didn't connect the the cost of the problem to some sort of budget or maybe they actually did ask about it they got a number they said hey you know what it's going to be more than that but we're just going to do such a good demo we're going to blow them away and they're going to want to suddenly spend more money and maybe that works sometimes but not usually the case so when you think about discounting and 
somebody says, hey, our, you know, our team, our company is discounting. That's not the real problem. The real problem is they're not asking the questions. They're not understanding what the budgetary expectations and constraints are. So I, I love that one. And I think if you can figure that out and when you can ask diagnostic questions and prospects can see what kind of what the, the root cause of it is, I feel like that's when your knowledge and expertise is, is really shown. And that way you don't have to do a lot of demos and presentations because they know that you have a firm understanding of what's causing the problem. So that, that's my take on it. Yeah. The, the other thing I would add to it, and like for us that, you know, we, we provide a solution for digital marketing and a lot of it's around better reporting and controls and insights and new ways, new partners that they can work with. But a lot of what we would run into is, you know, on the reporting side of things, oh, I don't have good reporting. And, you know, we have an amazing amount of reports. But what would happen is if an AE just focused on that level, and especially with a champion, they would never get a deal done because there's no business value that's tied to just having better reports. It's what are you actually going to do with them? How is that going to impact your goals 12, 24 months from now? How are you going to be able to change the organization now that you have something that's more accessible at your fingertips? And, you know, that for us was really the way where we could start to create deal velocity and be able to uh, retain our deal value as we went through the negotiations. Yeah, no, 100%. And I always say if salespeople can help quantify the cost of the problem on a daily, monthly basis. Again, it it doesn't become a matter of you, a salesperson trying to help close so much as some figuring out what somebody cares. Because I mean, look, I've been in a, a call where someone said a problem was costing them $15 million a year. And I, I mean, that's a lot of money to me, but I asked the question, I don't know, is that enough money to, to care about? Is it enough money to do something about? <laughs> and the answer was no. And Again, it's okay, but if somebody says, yeah, that's that's a huge amount of money and they're realizing that it's costing them a million dollars, two million dollars, whatever it is per month, it's only natural that they would want to to do something if it's important to them. And the idea of people disappearing and you know deals getting dragged out, sales cycles getting longer kind of goes away. And like you said, deal velocity speeds up a whole bunch because people, have their own motivation to get the problem fixed. So I think you could not have nailed it better with that point. Appreciate it. That yeah. might dovetail nicely into the next rule. Yes. Yeah. People, <laughs> rule number 15, people work harder for their reasons than yours. Yeah. Well, that's exactly, I mean, going back to the, you know, how to win friends and influence people, like, at the end of the day, you know, people think about themselves more than they think about you. People have, you know, their own career, their own issues, their their own goals, and you have to figure out what that is. Because if you're working off of your agenda and talking about yourself, they may be on the calls, but they might not be listening, and they might not really be caring about what you're talking about until you can connect it to the things that they truly care about. And once you do. Then again, where we talk about deal value and urgency and people disappearing, like not that people don't disappear when you're focused on solving the biggest problems that they care about so you can make an impact in their life and make a difference overall. And that again, really, you know, the way we think about selling is it needs to be all about the customer. It needs to be figuring out their why. 
And again, getting back to how we can help them. And, you know, if we can't, great, let's move on. Um, but when we can, we need to attach it to their why. A hundred percent. And I think, I think this rule actually comes from the, uh, the Sandler rules for managers. And so we'll touch on that for a second, but I think you're hundred percent right. The people do things for their reasons, not because a salesperson has a quota to meet it's the end of the quarter and they, sure. they want to get the deal done. I, I, a, a I, I hate that because it's just so I-centered and B, you see this all the time. People end up giving 30, 40, 50% discounts just to get the deal in. And it's, it, it's really avoidable. But on, so I think on the management side, one of the things we do when we work with managers is the very first things we do is have them set personal, have them do a goal setting session with the people on their team and not a quota thing, but a, a, a real, what is your personal goals? Because like, no, Nobody wants to pick up the phone and make calls. Nobody wants to talk to people they don't know. Nobody wants to do the uncomfortable stuff. And so, again, if a manager goes to a, a sales rep and says, hey, have you made your calls? You're behind quota. Why aren't you doing this? It's, it's, it's about them. And don't get me wrong. They're the boss. They write the paychecks. But if you can connect those goals to people's personal goals, like one of the big things I always hear is I want to send my kids to really expensive private schools managers can come to people and it's not about, Hey, did you make your calls? Hey, are you, you know, are you doing your quarterly business reviews so you can make sure that we're retaining clients, but you know, how close are you to, to getting that new house? How many more deals do you need to get to make sure your kids are in that, that 30, $40,000 a year private high school. And that's what, that's what, that's what motivates people. And it's always yeah. amazing to me that, I'll ask managers what the, their people or business owners or whoever it is, what their reports, personal goals are. And I would say 4% of the time, I'll actually get somebody who, who knows that. So, yeah. Yeah. And, and it's amazing. It, it works both internally and externally and agree completely. Like the only way you can get people to do the things that, you know, we need to inside it, I think is connect with them. You know, understand what they want to do with their life overall. And similar to how we talk about selling, you know, externally, it's the same thing here. Then showing the pan, uh, the playbook for, okay, here, you want to get to X. Like if you do these things here, you're going to be able to get there. And, you know, you mentioned a couple of things like buy a house, et cetera, um, you know, take care of your kids. But then there's also just the career goals. You know, I want to get to X level within, you know, this amount of time. It's like, great, here, here's the path, you know, others have done it. Here's what you need to do consistently to be able to get there. And, you know, as long as you have those things, you can connect with your people and you can understand where they're going. Honestly, that it get, helping getting them there has been the funnest part of my job overall. Just seeing, you know, we've had people come in just out of college, their first job. Now they're sales leaders or top AEs. And they're just, you know, they're, they're so happy and fulfilled in their life because they've been able to do well in their career. And, you know, it's uh it's an honor to see it. And I think also a responsibility for anyone in sales management to be, to manage the team that way. Yeah, that's it. I mean, it's such a great point. And you're right. That's, you know, I'm, I'm not in a role where I'm managing people directly anymore, but it, it's a great feeling. And it turns the hard, some of the challenging role of being a sales manager where you're having to really stay on top of people and do a much more 
enjoyable thing where they want to win for themselves, which means that they're helping you win. And everybody's, I don't know, I guess I use the term rowing in the same direction. And, you know, the, the thing I always think about is outside sales reps have always been, sure, they're, they're hitting the golf course on Friday. If, if it's between, you know, making one more call or seeing one more client or hitting the golf course, they're doing that. But if, if it's between, Hey, am I going to, you know, really take this next step in my life and get the things I really want or hit the golf course, then they're going to have a much higher likelihood of doing the things that they need to do, especially if you have a driven person. So I, I love that. All right. Let's, let's talk rule number 26. People buy in spite of the hard sell, not because of it. No one wants to be sold. Everyone wants to buy. No one wants to be sold. Those old school hard sell tactics, just in my opinion, have never really worked for us. You know, maybe there was a point in time where they did. I don't know. I doubt it. But, you know, the the reality and, you know, we look at it around the like lead the horse to water, you know, like help them get there themselves. And when you do that, that's when you've effectively sold. Um, and it goes back to people do it for their own reasons, right? People like to talk about themselves. People tune you out when you're talking and thinking about what they're going to say next. All of those things, I think, lead up to this overall as to the why that hard sell doesn't really work and honestly can push people away. And it's something we just completely shy away from in our organization. I agree. And one of the things I... I don't know why I, I, I feel like I hear this a lot is people say, oh, that, that stuff doesn't work anymore. I, I don't think it ever worked really well back in the day because I don't just being a, a fan of human psychology, when somebody can, we talk about the principle of okay, not okay. When someone comes and, and when you think about walking onto a car lot, and I, you know, I know that's kind of a cliche thing to say, but we, we did that a couple of years ago and we were, our lease came to an end and my wife and I wanted to buy out the, the car and I called ahead, scheduled an appointment, told them what I wanted. I got on there and all they were trying to do was sell us a new car. And I, and I said, look, you're not listening. This is what we need. This is what we want to do. We, we've thought through all the options and it, it was uncomfortable. It was uncomfortable. It made me uncomfortable enough to walk off the lot the last day of the lease. I wasn't even sure if we still legally owned the car but we drove it there and left without getting a deal without figuring out the disposition on it. So yeah, I mean, really good, good way to break, break rapport. We're big on rapport. People buy from people they like, trust and feel comfortable with. And when you're trying to sell somebody hard, it's a, it's hard work and B it's, it can be very uncomfortable. Yeah, I mean, and if you even think back to, you know, both of our earlier days and the gym membership, right? And I'm sure you were taught some pretty hardcore closing techniques, but like, in my experience, that didn't work. You know, what worked was connecting with people, making them feel comfortable, making them like understand how whatever they wanted to do, why they walked in the door, decided to walk in that day, like making sure we understood that and then connecting, you know, our solution at the gym to how we're going to help them get there was far more effective than any of the quote unquote closing techniques that were taught to me during my training. Let, let me confess, I'll, I'll be honest and say when I, in my days working at Spectrum, I, I absolutely didn't know 1% of the things I know now. And I, I would occasionally use, use hard selling tactics, but you're, 
I mean, I can't disagree with it. Like, I, looking back, I know it wasn't the best way, and good for you for being figuring out that way sooner than I did. But you, you're you're right. People, that it's just human psychology. Nobody likes somebody that makes them feel uncomfortable, and that kind of ties us into rule twenty-seven, which is the last one on our list here. That you can't sell anybody anything; they must discover that they want it. I think these two are kind of interwound together. But again, if if somebody discovers that they want something, like you said, people aren't going to disappear when they're trying to get their biggest problem solved. And I can kind of liken this to you go to the doctor and they tell you that you have cancer. You're probably not going to ghost that doctor and not return phone calls. You want to get something fixed. And you know, hopefully it's never anything that severe. But when people come into the gym, you're right. They, something brought them there for a reason. They had some idea of why they wanted to get back in shape. And sometimes they might not even think deep enough as to why it is they have some intellectual reason. But if you, like you said, you ask them, how does that, what does that look like in six months, 12 months? How does that impact your life? How are you going to feel when you've achieved that goal? Then you get, people want to buy people. Yeah. You're right. People love to buy. They hate to be sold. Yeah. Yeah. And I've, t- I've talked about this concept on the discover it a couple of times, but I'll talk about it in a little bit different uh, concept. So two two things to talk through. So I, I took a, a seminar on coaching and coaching you know, your uh, employees, right? And just different tactics to do it versus like one of, you know, I'd been with impact.com for so long. So I knew so much about the business and people would come to me with problems and be like, yeah, here's how you solve it, blah, blah, blah. But that's actually not the most effective way of doing it, right? The most effective way of doing it is asking questions. Well, tell me, how would you think about this? How would you get there? What are the different options? What are the scenarios you could go through? Like really helping to get them there. And then once they got there, it's like the light bulb really got off and they discovered it. And now they're excited to go and solve that problem. Whereas when you just tell them what to do, they're not as excited or bought into it. And then another one, and one of my favorite uh, series of podcasts is The Knowledge Project. And I forget which episode it was, but it talked about how when people are presenting plans to leadership, if leadership takes that plan and says, this is great, and do this to it, and just modifies it maybe 3%, that demotivates the people from actually wanting to own it, because now they felt like they've lost ownership, they didn't discover it on their own, and they don't really work on it. And so this thing, I think, also really applies to management and making sure that people are discovering the ideas as well. A thousand percent. And Mike, I'm going to go so far as to call you a five percenter. And I'll, I'll tell you what that means. It's a compliment. But when when you you mentioned coaching and we work with managers on coaching people, when you look at most companies and they talk about coaching, it's let me show you how to do it or let me tell you what I would have done there. And you're right. It's, if people don't discover for themselves, it's it's your data. And there's a term called learned helplessness where you're teaching people to be dependent upon you to solve problems. So it, number one, it doesn't scale. And number two, when they can, by asking questions and having them discover it, it's their own data and people will never argue with their own data. They own it, they wanna do it and they become better. That's, you're 100% right. And that's what great coaching is about. It's about asking questions, not telling them how to do it. And if anyone's listening, who's working on coaching, if you take nothing away from this podcast, except that it's going to be 
an absolute game changer. I don't know, Mike, if you're, uh, we're getting towards the end of our time. I don't know if you'd be willing to share any of that knowledge with any people out there that are listening and wondering more about coaching, but I think that is an absolute nugget. You can't, yeah. you really can't convince people of anything. You can't coach people around something by telling them you have to help them discover why it might be important to them and they're going to own it. And you're never going to have to try and push it on them again. Sure. Yeah. Happy to help for anyone. Yeah. And sorry, I didn't mean to, to make you available to anyone out there, but I, again, I feel like you're, you're in the 5% of managers who understand these concepts and understand that coaching isn't about telling, but um, again, Mike, we are at the end of our time. Really appreciate us getting to meet for the first time, uh, you know, virtually face to face. I know I've known of you for you know, probably about 10 years now, <laughs> share, share a common background. We've connected a couple of times on LinkedIn over the years. Anything else you want to say in closing up for the folks listening? Any plug you want to do for your company or yourself or anything else? So I think if you're interested in digital partnerships, definitely come out impact.com. We are working with, you know, leading brands across all industries can definitely help drive growth overall. And then I would just say uh, to anyone in their careers looking to develop, like just be a professional learner, you know, be committed to self-awareness, be committed to learning and can be committed to growing. And you're going to see how fast you'll rise up. Awesome. Well, thanks again, Mike, for being on the show. Looking forward to staying in touch with you in the future and hearing about the growth of impact.com. I know you guys have had an explosive, probably 10 years, but I've been hearing you guys in the news a lot over the last five. So congrats on all the hard work and, and success you've had there. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. Great to meet you. And again, thanks for the book. Much appreciated. Thanks for listening. I hope you got as much out of this as I did. To find out more about how we work with companies to help them grow sales more profitably and predictably, please check out gordon.sandler.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.